0: Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest.
1: What does education look like in the metaverse? What does it look like for universities and schools and educational facilities to adopt XR technologies in the classroom? In today's podcast, I'm going to be talking with Steve Grubbs. He is the founder and CEO of Victory XR. After founding the company in 2016, Steve led the VXR team to winning the Global Education Innovation of the Year Award in 2021. Before founding VXR, Steve founded two other successful ventures. Steve served in the state of Iowa legislature from 1991 to 1997 uh sitting as the chair of the house of education committee he holds a bba in finance and a, D, a jd from the university of Iowa. So, without any further delay i'd like to welcome steve hey
0: Thanks, steve Dylan. hey glad to be here
1: i'm excited to have you on the show uh talk to you about all things metaverse virtual reality education and more um so uh really excited to pop in and talk to you on this i know you um, you're pretty deep in the space, but I'd love to get a real understanding of what kicked you off into the journey from education into the XR space.
0: Sure. Well, I grew up in the household of a school teacher. I served in the Iowa legislature as chair of the education committee and spent a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, how can technology actually move the needle rather than just uh, being a, a plaything or something that gets stuck in the closet. And so we've spent five years working on the, the problem and I, I feel like, uh, we have made a lot of progress in, in some ways. I, I feel like we've had our first level of success and uh, now we want to build on that, on that. Awesome.
1: Um, what do you think? Like, so, you, you know, you went for the space of actually, you know, being the, the um, institutionalized educational sector to moving into more of this innovative immersive technologies what mistakes do you think educators commonly make when they're trying to get and bring this immersive technologies to the classroom
0: well the challenge with making that transition is that first of all you have to have a really decent understanding of what what's possible so for example uh, up up until the last year mm-hmm. virtual reality has been introduced into the classroom but now virtual reality has become the classroom and and even though that's a small distinction in in language it's a very big distinction big distinction in uh, reality so um what the, the what i would say is this mm-hmm. when a student goes into virtual reality by themselves that's that's a positive and they can learn a lot from it But when the the same students go into virtual reality with the rest of their class and their educator, and then they can travel around the world on virtual field trips, or they can uh, hold a human heart in their hand, that makes uh, learning come alive. And so it's it's, it's a big difference between the two. And and that that group learning, that multi-student learning in the same space, uh, in, in this virtual reality world, whether it's on a starship or dinosaur island, that, that's uh, a way that students, a, they remember more, they're more engaged and they have greater satisfaction.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of like the, the holy trifecta there of, of they, they enjoy it. They get more out of it. They're more engaged in it. That's, that seems to be a lot um, with the kids. Is there, is there a right way and a wrong way to use the VR technology to educate students?
0: Um, I don't know if there is necessarily a right or a wrong way, but there's certainly better ways. Okay. So, you know, what you what you really want to find are the best use cases. And you don't want to view virtual reality as a screen because it's not a screen. So what, what, a lot of times when I speak with educators, they say, so you watch this. And, and you really don't watch it. You interact with it. You experience it. So it's the difference between... When you're taking anatomy class actually let's say if you're studying about molecules or molecular biology you can have a book or a a video or a slide deck and you look at molecules and you view them and you Hmm. learn about them but that's very difficult to do if it's a complex molecule structure you know for h2o pretty simple but but a, a molecule with many atoms maybe dozens or hundreds of atoms it's nearly impossible to comprehend that molecule in a 2D situation. But what if you could step into a space, grab that molecule, expand it until it's four foot wide, and then step inside that molecule and and see how it all fits together and, and how the proteins work and the atoms and all of this. So that's a better use case. Um, and, and those are the use cases we want to find. Uh, sometimes, sometimes educators may uh, take virtual reality and and decide that uh it, it's good for you know something that it's not a great use case. Mm-hmm. And so it's best to find those. So for example, thinking about math, geometry is a great use case for uh, metaverse education. You know, you can go and stand next to the uh, the Great Pyramids of Egypt, and you can learn about the hypotenuse and, and all of the radius, all these different things. Um, but if you are if you are trying to learn algebra, you can learn algebra in VR. It's just not as good a use case as geometry.
1: Mm. Yeah, so you're saying things that are more experiential, things that are kind of physical in nature, have some sort of interactions. So you can kind of learn by doing, not necessarily by thinking. Like you wouldn't want to necessarily put someone uh, inside VR and just have them typing away, right? Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what are a couple of the, I mean, these are some great uses. I mean, You talked about the pyramids and I know you have a bunch of different modules um inside of your uh, victory xr applications is there is there ones that are actually um like fan favorites, kid favorites? Are there ones that you've seen uh, a lot of um uh people get a lot of value out of using your system?
0: Well, the frog dissection is always popular. And uh <laughs> at at higher ed, it's the human dissection. Uh so yeah. you know, if if you can pick up the floppy frog and it uh, flops around just like it would in uh, in the real world and then you can cut it open and pull the organs out and then click a button and put it back together again. Uh, that's a, that's a far superior way to experience dissection than and the formaldehyde and, you know, the rest of it. And you, you learn as much and in many ways more. And, um, it's a, uh, it, it's a great fun way to learn and, and yeah. students engage with it and they remember it uh, so so the retention is, is significantly higher when you learn that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so kid-tested, frog-approved. Exactly. Uh...
0: And if you think about it, why do we dissect frogs or fetal pigs in school? Mm. I mean, ultimately, what we really want to understand is humans. We mm-hmm. don't dissect humans because it just doesn't seem, you know, there aren't that many cadavers out there and they're very expensive. So you know, we start with frogs in the, in the metaverse, but we advance up to human cadavers. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's a, that's a great savings for college or university and, mm-hmm. um, makes a big difference.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's, a uh, also works great at scale too. I mean, I'm sure one frog by itself is cheap, but if you're doing 50 frogs over and over and over and over again, true. Plus the, you know, humane value that's added into, there's a lot of, Um, benefits when you can actually start to roll this out. That's why I like the fact that you've, you've been doing this for a while. So you've been really able to kind of scale this out and really make a robust system when you're um, helping universities or educational facilities, right? Like how do you, how do you onboard them so that you know that they're going to be successful with it? Um, That one of the ironic things I've seen about educators, especially when the whole pandemic thing hit is that they were the slowest to adapt to new technologies, um, and so I'm wondering, how do you, how do you help them become successful in the space?
0: So we've developed a full professional development, uh, program where educators can earn a micro certif- micro certificate, uh, mm-hmm. to, to be certified as a VR educator. Mm-hmm. And so that starts with, uh, watching some 2d videos. And then it continues on with some reading materials, some reading assignments, and then it finishes with uh, some actual practicum when they're in um, a metaverse classroom and learning how to teach in that meta- metaverse classroom. So, uh, and then we'll, if, if they're in our program, we'll also put a tech inside their first class or two with them as they, as they figure all that out. So um, it, it's a great way to learn. We really help them along and um, we intend to have thousands of certified educators uh come uh
1: 2023 that's awesome yeah when i was looking at the lot of the like the zoom educations I have nieces and nephews and stuff like that and they had to go do the zoom education so many times they were talking about how you know the kids would be super disengaged because they were just kind of tune out or they'd have you know quote unquote internet problems there'd be a lot of ways that they could kind of skirt the system and then kind of it, it disservice to themselves um also to the actual educational process Um, how is the, the use of the VR technology? Um, how is it better than zoom, right? How is it better than those types of things? And, and is this primarily done all inside the school or is this all remote? What can you talk me a little bit through this?
0: There's two models. Uh, there's the remote model and there's the in on campus model. And that's both for uh, k 12 and for higher ed. So for example, the Morehouse college model. This is the third semester that students at Morehouse College have been learning on their Metaversity campus. So it's a a pretty cool deal. Uh, Students are able to stay in their dorms, stay in their apartments. They put on their Quest 2 headset and they jump into the class. And when they've got that Quest 2 headset on, they're not watching TV. They're not looking out the window. They're not uh, staring at some other student in the class. They're fully engaged with What's happening in their metaverse classroom? Now, they might be talking to the student next to them, or they might be, you know, messing around in their classroom, but they're fully engaged in that chemistry class, that biology class, that uh, world history class. So, so that, and that's the remote. That's where a student checks out their headset at the beginning of the semester, they take it home with them, and then they check it back in at the end of the semester. Great. The other model then is the Fisk University model. And so Fisk University, was they were sending um, pre-med students to Vanderbilt University. They didn't have their own cadaver lab. We built them a cadaver lab so they are building that into their curriculum so that students can now stay on Fisk University's campus. And so that, the headsets, those are Vive 3 headsets, which is a really high-quality headset. Those are on campus. They have 20 of them there. And so the students come into the cadaver lab class. They put on the headsets and then they're there and they're able to learn and engage with their human cadaver. So both of those models can work. What we, what we believe is that the future of education is that just like every student has one of these, a, a phone,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and m- most students now have either their own computer at the higher ed or high school level, or they have access to one. And, and we believe it'll be the same case with, uh, VR headsets and AR headsets.
1: Mm. Yeah. And the the adaption and the adaption rates really quick too. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, it was like $3,000 for a PC and a VR. Now it's like 300 bucks you can get on Amazon in two days. It's pretty crazy. Uh, how fast we're evolving through the tech.
0: Ironically, phones have gone the opposite. I paid $1,200 for this phone. That is crazy. uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a high end version, but, uh, I use everything
1: in it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a there's a lot of value inside that phone, man. But at the same time, though, that you know that doesn't cost that much. You know, the hardware is not a fraction of what that takes to make. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine. Lo- I, I I lost my phone at my at my best friend's wedding like a year and a half ago. And I was like, I I can go three days without it. I'm just, I'll get it eventually. I'll wait for the new one. And I was just like, I was itching at the bit. It's crazy how much it's a piece of you, you know. As, and I'm sure VR is. Not going to be uh really much different
0: well so the the deal with vr it's really immersive immersive interaction with uh, another world and mm-hmm. so or it might be your world and so you know if you think of it uh ar glasses we're working on a very significant project with lenovo right now with their a3 glasses so that you'll be able to see uh this other world imposed on your real world so VR will go from the headsets to a much smaller form factor. It's hard to know exactly what that'll be, but, um, it, it'll be less intrusive on your head.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we're all waiting for that, that Holy grail, you know, minority report contact lens, future reality, where we can kind of step in and we have the, the augmented reality. right now. The quest is about as good as it gets for the, for the moment. And so I love the fact that you're bringing these things into the classroom um, and when you're talking about bringing these things in the classroom is it you have these different areas you're talking about you're talking about history you're talking about math say, and you're talking about say art sciences um, do you have mm-hmm. like do you have is it one class that supplements the learning for a, a topic or do you have a series of classes um, based around that topic like a, a progression through the arts or a progression through math can you talk to me a little bit about that
0: sure so we don't care what the school teaches we don't mm-hmm. care what the homeschool co-op teaches. Mm-hmm. We don't care what the university teaches. They've got their—they've spent years developing their class curriculum, their course, their book of courses. And so, what we want to do is to help them uh, expand into a different way of delivering that education. So, in in the past, if I was going to attend uh, Georgetown University, I would have mm-hmm. to find the money. To move to Washington, D.C., pay for an apartment or pay for a dormitory and and then, you know, manage my own meals and all of this. So that's very expensive. And so it's certainly available to some portion of Americans. But it's, it's not available to all Americans and especially it's not available to all world citizens. What we can provide is a an experience and education that costs dramatically less and that you can consume that in a way that works with your life. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to move to Washington, D.C. to go to Georgia. I'll use one of the examples of the schools in our program. Uh, so for example, Morehouse College, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to necessarily move to Morehouse College campus if, if they allowed me to take all of my classes remotely. Right now, they're I think they're going to be at seven classes this fall, but um, you know, eventually all classes will be in, and they'll have this metaverse education. And in a couple of data points that if your listeners like data points, um, Quest sold, Meta sold about 10 million Quest 2 headsets last year. That's quite a few, not as many as they sell of iPhones, that Apple sells iPhones, but that's a good start. It's likely they'll sell more this year. And because of that, um, Students are able to already enter the metaverse, their metaverse campus, because they have these headsets at home. Then you move to Fortnite. So Fortnite is like a 2D metaverse, if you will. Mm-hmm. Students from all over the world, they go there, they they fight, they win, uh, they jump off a bus, all of this. So they Mar- Fortnite threw a concert last year with Marshmallow, Apparently, a very popular DJ, mm-hmm. and uh, 10 million students showed up kids showed up to that concert from around the world. And so to me, that's a pretty big deal as well. And So this generation of 14 to 24 year olds, they already understand what the future looks like. You know, people my age, I have to explain it to them and then I have to explain it again. And then I, I still am not sure they're understanding what I'm what I'm talking about. But if you're 14 to 25, you completely get it already and you're looking for schools that that offer this
1: mm-hmm it is the cutting tech. it's like it's almost like offering back in the day iPads in the school when you didn't have them before it's it's this new tech that and even at the cost rate so low to get to, to have it really available for the impact that you can have uh, I think I think it's a really powerful thing it's so funny you're making marshmallow and Fortnite references I guarantee there's a bunch of kids that just get that that just emphatically nod their head to what you're talking about and um, and I can I can see that. I mean, we know so you, when you put VR on someone for the first time, their mind's blown to the possibilities, and they don't really want to take it off. And if you take it off them, they generally get upset at you. You know, so it, you can see yeah. that we're going in the right direction. Um, what resistances have you found? Because you're talking about older population, uh, teachers, things like that. What resistance have you commonly come across um, that you have to you have to kind of um uh go around or help them get past in order to integrate the immersive technologies into schools
0: yeah so there's this thought that um vr is a, an isolating technology but uh really nothing could be further from the truth when when vr was asynchronous meaning one person only uh one person at a time then it's true that it was somewhat isolating uh, but just like gaming on Twitch, you know, connecting to others through, uh, you know, various social media platforms while you're gaming, mm-hmm. extremely social. And and when you enter a metaversity or a metacampus and you're there with other students that you can laugh and learn and play with, um, that's that's a very social activity. So that's, that's the first objection. Others have suggested, well, doesn't this just... Um, doesn't this just exacerbate the issues with uh, the the tech differential between the wealthy and the, and the poor. And, and again, you know, my, my pushback on that is it's far, far more expensive to uproot yourself and move halfway across the country to live on a campus than it is to, uh, or, or even to get in your car and drive across town to community college every day. It's far more expensive than a 300 to, $700 $700 headset that you can jump into class and, and, and join your classmates. So, so I really don't think that, that cost is an issue, but, but I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Others, others would argue that, Oh, aren't students losing out when they do a frog dissection in virtual reality. They don't get the formaldehyde. They don't actually get a, to hold the organs in their hand. They don't get to smell them. They don't get to experience it. And um, well, not sure how much people learn from that whole experience more than than they do with ours and ours i I should also talk a little bit about haptics Mm -hmm. so haptics that's the um that's the experience of feeling touch when you're in a game or in a vr environment and and it's being delivered in a lot of different ways but but primarily at the sort of more affordable level it's a vibration so if you our hand at a human heart you'll feel a vibration when it touches your hand just a just a very slight vibration so you get that sense of that haptic sense of holding something and that's just improving so so our belief is that in frog dissection and learning to operate on a, on a, a human that, that being able to kinesthetically pick up a scalpel, cut open a frog, cut open a human and and to pull an organ out and to haptically feel that, but then to be able to click a button and put it all back together and do it again, this is far superior than the, than the ways we've been doing it before. Are there some advantages to, to doing it in person? Certainly. Uh, But I I wouldn't say it's social or cost or, or the experience of actually smelling and touching.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I could, I absolutely could see that, especially with the dissection piece Uh, the smelling, I think is the only thing it teaches you is to become a vegan. You know, that's not a necessarily a, Um, an awesome experience. So what you're looking at is you you listed a couple of objections right around you know, the, the, is it expensive? Is it, does it isolate? Does it, is it expensive? You know, is it better in, in real life? Or as the kid calls it IRL? Um, you're talking about in terms of expe- expensive, like, do you ever help people around the, say like um, they want to, they want to write a grant, they want to get things ready. They want to be able to roll out this technology for their own university. Is there any things or advice or guidance you get around? Uh, Cause I know a lot of schools, they have to petition to get this type of funding for these projects. Is there anything that yeah. you ever have advice around that?
0: In January, I hired a full-time grant writer on our staff, Mm -hmm. so we have a grant form on our website that uh, people can fill out if they would like to go through that process, and then our grant writer helps them find it, and then she does most of the writing for them, so the the reality is that uh, there is a lot of money out there for this sort of uh, technology that, that solves problems and a lot of uh, people in the grant giving uh, business are, are interested in new solutions, and especially solutions that have a track record of working. And so um, that's one of the things that um, we are able to help with. If, you, if you're out there and you're listening and you, you're interested in finding funding for a project, uh, come to our website and click the little grant form, fill it out, it takes literally five minutes. And then uh, Claire, we'll uh, hopefully be able to work with you and get you some money to move forward.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Claire. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. And so, I mean, so long path, I mean, you you can see that as you're going through the process, because I'm sure this wasn't a straightforward path to just, you know, uh, launch in 2016 and then up and out the door to kind of get to where you're at. You know, can you talk to me about some of the learning lessons that you and your company had, um, what I call threshold guardians along your hero's journeys path?
0: Sure. you know it's um th- this is my fourth business and um i've learned a lot of little lessons over the years that that make a make a difference um and mm-hmm. i'll just share i'll just share a few of them you know one is to one is to make sure you capture your downtime and reinvest it back into your business if you're an entrepreneur you know I've never met an entrepreneur who succeeded in 40 hours a week. But the reality is that that even within your 40 hours, you have lots of little moments of downtime. It might be five minutes here, it might be 10 minutes there. And, and this is the lesson I teach everybody that comes into our company. It's called the law of small numbers. I didn't invent it, I heard it, I liked it. But the law of small numbers says that that if you have a friction point, or a waste that's just a small amount. Typically, people will uh, put up with that small waste or that small loss of time or that small friction point because it's just not that big of a deal. But if it's a friction point that occurs over and over and over again, so say, for example, that um, you are losing um, five minutes an hour because your computer is running slow. Well, five minutes an hour over an eight hour day is 40 minutes. 40 minutes that lost 40 minutes over 10 days is 400 minutes. So over a month, you've lost 1,200 minutes. And over 10 months, you've lost 12,000 minutes. And so let me just make sure I do the math right. But uh, so Uh, 12,000 divided by 60. Two hundred hours. Two hundred hours. So just because you're losing five minutes an hour due to a mm. slow computer, you've literally lost two hundred hours of productivity in a year. And you know, that's what five you've literally lost five weeks of work because of that small number. Mm. And so um, that that is a a bigger deal than people realize. And and throughout a day, throughout a business, there's there are many little friction points that might be 30 seconds, they might be a minute, they might be five minutes. but whatever they are, uh, they add up and they create a, a drag on your on your uh, company. So for example, if you you know when they were first trying to get the they, they, they were going to ride a bicycle and power a plane over the English Channel. And so it required that a, that the plane had to be extremely light, also, the, the plastic that they wrapped around the frame of the plane had to be extremely tight so that so the coefficient was just perfect because mm-hmm. a human can only power uh, a plane so far. And so as they were training on this, they got so far, and, and the, the, the biker who was very strong made, made you know a lot of progress, but then they started losing progress. And what they realized when they looked into it is that the wrap, the plastic wrap around the frame of the plane, it wasn't visible to the human eye, but when they measured it with calipers, they learned that that it had become just a little bit loose. And that little bit of, of drag that that created was enough to slow the biker down so that they couldn't complete uh, the goal of flying across the English Channel powered only by by human pedaling. So, so That's a great analogy for business, because frequently we run into these little things that create small uh, drags on our companies, and we don't realize it. But when you can eliminate those, when you can measure and eliminate those, then your company becomes faster, leaner, more agile, and ultimately, if your business model doesn't suck, more successful.
1: That's great. And that's an an amazing example, too, because you look at that and you're like, oh, what's five minutes here? What's 10 minutes here? And then it adds up over time and then it kind of eats away. And then you look back, okay, where all the time go? And you aren't able to actually get that kind of that compounding momentum, right? And what you're talking about is is that is that momentum of progress and being able to actually achieve so much more um, because we've seen a lot of people that's like, it's kind of like sending like, if you go to the gym, you don't really work out. You kind of putting a little bit of time here and there you're not compounding the real effort so you're not really making those gains you're barely staying aloft and then a lot of entrepreneurs they kind of they, they don't actually become profitable because they're just barely staying afloat over an extended period of time and then eventually they'll they can't take it and they drop off so
0: yeah the, the biggest example of if companies want to know the easiest way to to make the make a difference mm-hmm. look at how you do meetings so in, in a lot of companies, there's just a standard, they, they just schedule an hour for a meeting. Hmm. And when you schedule an hour for a meeting, maybe you need the full hour, but most of the time a meeting can be completed in 30 minutes if people come prepared for the meeting. And so, you know, in our company, we started enforcing some time ago uh, that unless that, that a 60 minute meeting must be the exception and a 30 minute meeting must be the rule. And mm-hmm. by doing that, people capture literally an extra hour a day and and over, you know, over if you, let's say you have 300 days or maybe 270 days of work, you know, that's, that's a lot of time.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you guys remote? Are you guys in an office? How, how do you, how's your company structured?
0: We're a remote company. Now mm-hmm. we have an office and we, we have one person that goes into the office each day. Um, because there are things that might need to be done there, but, but we have employees in Montana and South Carolina and California and Iowa and Texas and all over Florida.
1: Got it. So then, yeah, I mean, part of the thing is, uh, you know, looking at that, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with uh, maintaining a productive workforce while staying remote you know they're not they're not locked inside the office they can really they have life right and life happens around you we've seen that during this whole um you know last couple of years here of being all remote working you know so in terms of maintaining productivity at a distance right you're talking about capturing these loose hours um you know what systems do else do you put in place to to make sure that you can really run efficiently
0: yeah so uh first of all I think the, the best way to succeed in a remote environment is a is to have goals that people have to achieve. And those goals are not easy to reach. So for example, we might have to get a metaversity, you know, we've got 12 metaversities that have to be up and running by July 31st. These are very take a lot of time to build. And so if if somebody's assigned, that they've got to get half a Metaversity built in the next three weeks, they don't really have any time to waste because it's literally going to take every hour that they have to to reach that goal. Mm. And if somebody else is able to get it done and someone else is not, then we have to look at that person and and why they're not able to reach their goals. And and Mm. it's that same way with our salespeople. It's the same way with uh, uh, almost everybody on the team. So, you know, we've not run into that issue. Maybe it's because we're small enough, we're less than 30 employees, Uh, but um, I suspect the larger you get, the more difficult it is to manage a remote company. But for the employee, if they're driving into work and they're killing literally an hour a day in transportation or in some places more than an hour a day, what a great loss that is to to that person that they that they could have, uh, you know, in some other place in their life. You know, talk about the law of small numbers. Just that time and transportation adds up. So, for us, uh, we have uh, we, we think this is a great model, and um, so far it's worked well, and, and we mm-hmm. have a, an extremely productive company. That's awesome.
1: When you're talking about metaversities, uh, can you kind of break down what do you mean by a metaversity? Like, what is that? It, what what all goes into making it and what's the, what's the result from that?
0: So imagine, um, imagine you're attending your college or your university and you can walk up and you can touch the bricks and you can open the doors, all of that. And you can stand in your campus quad or the commons, whatever it's called. What if all of that was rebuilt? as in cgi or digitally what if you rebuilt all of that and so a lot of people can relate to uh, the game call of duty a lot of people played that game call of duty and and so you know you can run around in the world war one trenches or you can run around the, the buildings and try and not get shot by by whoever you're opposing um, but now think instead of building a an actual battlefield what if we build the actual university and when you spawn in, there you are on the Campus Commons and your mm. class is in Schaefer, room 101, Great. So you walk over to Schaefer, you go into your class and there are you, the rest of your classmates and there's your professor. Mm. Now some might say, well, why wouldn't you just drive to, drive to Iowa City and do that or drive to Madison, Wisconsin or Tallahassee or Austin, Texas? And the answer is because not everybody lives in those cities but they still wanna to go to those universities. And so if you believe two things, one, that decentralization is real. And and let me break that down real quick. So Mm -hmm. over the last 200 years, 300 years, humans have been centralizing in cities. They've been centralizing in buildings and centralizing in in institutions. What we're seeing now is a, a, a mega trend towards decentralization. People are able to move out of the cities. They don't have to go be be boxed into large buildings and they're able to decentralize their lives. So for example, you know, this is my bank now it, it, 10 years ago, someone said I would do all my banking here. And I, and I'm a, I'm a futurist. I couldn't figure out how it would happen. And now it's like, yeah. And so, you know, I don't go to my bank anymore except when I lose my ATM card and I need a new one, which is, Unfortunately, not that, not that uncommon. So, um, but, but basically all my banking is done on my phone, crazy mm-hmm. Move money between accounts, deposit checks, whatever the case might be. So I don't have to go. I don't have to live near my bank. I don't have to go to my bank. I have now been decentralized from my bank. Mm-hmm. Same with education. Remote learning is expanding. 40% of American students took at least one class remote before the pandemic 20% took all of their classes remote before the pandemic we know that number is bigger today we don't know what it's going to settle down at but we know it's going to be bigger and we know it's going to grow for some period of time during this period of decentralization if you believe that decentralization is real and if you believe that remote learning is going to continue to grow what are we going to do with all these kids put them all into zoom learning you know that that's you know zoom is great But Zoom learning, that sort of sucks for most classes, you know, if you're anatomy or history or whatever the case might be. So the answer is that we give them the option of a metaverse Mm. where they can go to class, learn kinesthetically, learn in a synchronous environment with their teacher, with their professor. And and this is the future. And um, I have zero doubt that it will take hold. The only question is which institutions will be able to gather first the understanding and the, the roadmap for how they're going to embrace it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're all moving to this digital era. I mean, in the, in the 1990s, uh, it was, crazy to have a website it was unusual and then we you know we now adapt to it in 2007 you know there's no real iphones out there now if you don't have an iphone or some sort of smartphone you're a weirdo it's crazy how quickly the tech evolves and it seems to be speeding up too because i mean i remember a couple of years ago nobody had vr headsets and now it's super common uh, in terms of like just for like it was like the the number one christmas gift this last season for people to to get out and use uh with what you're building and creating you you talk about a lot of these, these educational pieces what do you do to inject fun or what do you do to inject the social elements of the experience? Like how do you, cause zoom has all of the boring things that are in a classroom, a teacher talking to you while pointing at a screen, but none of the fun, you're not there with any of the other kids. You can't like, you can't like send notes to each other. Like, is there anything that you do to really, um, add some fun or an, add some sort of socialness to it that makes it a, a more appealing experience for kids?
0: Yeah, I've not announced this anywhere before, so you're the first person who's going to hear this, but um, Uh, we are rolling out a synchronous multi-student biology lab, and one of the activities in it, and it should be rolled out by April or May, um, is the human organ bag toss. So you take the heart, you take the liver, you take the stomach, and uh, you're playing bag toss against uh, classmate, if you get the organ into the hole, then uh, the information about that organ pops up. You, know, you learn whatever it is you need to learn about the heart, or whatever the case might be. Yeah. You know, to me, that's a lot more fun than um, just looking at pictures of a human heart in a textbook and reading about it. That's
1: fun and a little gross, and I can see I could see how kids would love it. That's that's really cool, yeah. and that's it's. Me too. it's you're right. It is. You're right. You're a human, uh, human heart bag toss or organ bag toss. I could see that. And you, you're, you're, it's, it's a, it's a fun little goal that you achieve. You get information along the way and you learn and grow. That's awesome. That's, I mean, and and thank you for sharing that. Um, that is, that's the type of stuff that makes it more magical to do something in the metaverse or in virtual reality than it is in person. Cause that might possibly be frowned upon if you did that inside your actual biology class or anatomy class. Just it might be maybe yeah. depending on the teacher and whether or not they're tenured or not um so that's that's great um for all the things that you're you're doing here um along along the journey you talked about you know road mapping these things out you know what are you what are you really excited about that's coming around the pipe or what 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 new technologies or new innovations for you or is it gets you really excited for what's coming around the horizon
0: yeah you know the, uh, a lot of things. Uh, nice. Among those are the work we're doing on augmented reality glasses. You know, we, it's exciting to me that uh, students globally will be wearing these AR glasses from Lenovo, or you know, who knows, maybe in Real or some other vendor, maybe Apple, and they will be learning as they go. Perhaps they will be in the forest and uh, they'll be identifying trees. That, that pops up on their glasses, and, and that's the type of work that we haven't started yet, but we will start. Um, and so, all of these things uh, that, that provide information when you're on the go uh, that that can be useful. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's going to be information like um, I order a particular sandwich, and I look down at that sandwich, and it tells me uh, the calorie count. Or maybe I don't really want to know the calorie count. So maybe it just tells me how many people gave that sandwich five stars or four stars or three stars because uh, that's the only information I want to know. So, um, you know, maybe I'll be looking at a movie poster and my AR glasses will tell me, uh, the, the three cinemas that are closest to me and the next uh, starting time for a film. So, um, there's a lot of potential with augmented reality glasses, you know, we expect uh, to roll out our first products in 2023, mm. if, if not before. And um, we think that uh, we think that'll be a lot of fun. So that's, that's one piece of technology that's exciting, but you know, the the whole concept of we're building a, a group of schools, hopefully many schools on our campus. And then on Friday nights, we intend to have concerts on Saturdays. We intend to have uh, competitions, and so the students from all the various campuses will be able to gather in uh, in rooms and listen to to a DJ. Uh, and so, to me, that is um, that's a lot of fun, and it's very interesting, and it creates a level of social connection that has never been possible before.
1: That's great. I mean, because that is part of the the joys of being on a campus is, is the social engagements and being able to get with each other and the the groupings of people based upon interests and and that type of stuff. So that makes a lot of sense that you're bringing those elements into it because I mean people can make friends inside. I mean, i I know there's some game video games that I've played that I've met people online that are just friends of mine and I and I only know them through the areas of playing video games with them. And I mean the same is gonna be true where there's gonna be students that meet inside this, you know, metaversity spaces that become friends um, all through the whole metaverse space and, and just be able to connect and by by doing some sort of social, you know, could be an awkward dance, you know, at the, at the school dance, or it could be the organ tossing game. Um, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of magic um, with what, what you're talking about here. Uh, with these things and, you know, what you've been talking about with this, uh, one thing I saw that was really... Uh, I, I was going to see if you expand upon because I just saw it um, when I was looking at your website is one of the things that you had was like a tequila mockingbird, like a, a law room or a place like that. Can you talk to me a little bit about the courtroom that you've built and how you use it?
0: Sure. Um, one of the things that people have asked is, uh, you know, what are the use cases for uh, a metaversity or a metacampus? And they, they generally don't think in terms of literature. But uh, we are in the process of building out some of the iconic locations for for some of the most famous books that are that are read in every high school in America and in many high schools around the world. So, for example, To Kill a Mockingbird is one of those, and um, the, the courtroom scene. Now, uh, Atticus Finch is the attorney, and he's defending the accused, uh, the, the the black man who is uh, has been accused and. And of course, uh, in, in the book and in the movie, you know, the white citizens are allowed to sit on the floor, whereas the black citizens in town are not, they have to sit in the balcony. And and then you've got the judge and you've got the jury box. So the, the view of that book from each of those different perspectives, whether it's viewing it from the position of the judge, from the accused, from the jury, from the floor seating, from the balcony seating, You you understand the book better when you're in the courtroom with your classmates and and you can actually uh, click a button in our courtroom and Gregory Peck or Atticus Finch will pop up and give part of the closing remarks. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's an amazing way as you're reading an important book to actually experience it, to go to the courtroom. And when else has that been possible? And you know, uh, Lord of the Flies, you know the the island yeah. where it all goes down. That's uh, that's something we're building. We're also this is science, but we're building the Galapagos Islands and the USS uh, not the USS the HMS Beagle, mm-hmm. so students can experience the Galapagos without you know I I've never been to Galapagos, but uh, this is going to be my big chance. So uh, these are the things that we think that are delivered through this opportunity.
1: Yeah, it's so funny, as you mentioned, these terms, I'm having flashbacks of my own high school back in the day. Uh, you're talking about the Teal Mockingbird and also um, the, the, the I have a conch, you know, from Lord of the Flies. I can imagine that where you can only you can only talk if you have the conch, you know, I feel, but I feel like that's kind of what happens whenever the teacher's gone for too long from a classroom anyways, tends to break down into some sort of uh, crazy tribal situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, and when you're when you're doing these things, I know there's like uh, getting, you know, first people helping, say, teachers get past the idea of what is this technology and how is it used and how to think differently about it. You know, it's not just a screen. It's more of an experience. And then building out these real university experiences. What do you typically do to get um, universities excited at the possibilities because, you know, really inspiring them? To, to get on board with this new technology is half the battle, you know, c- is both capable and willing. I, I, many teachers know trying to push a unwilling student, it's like p- trying to push a, a bag of dough, you know, it doesn't quite work. So what do you do to uh, get these, these teachers and these faculty excited about the technology?
0: Yeah, there's two things. First of all, the students are never the problem. Students love learning in uh, on our metaversity campuses. I'll give you a quick example of that. Um, Morehouse College, like I said, they're teaching their third semester on their Metaversity campus, and so they launched it w- while they were teaching through Zoom, and so they they measured the, the student surveys from the time when they were in class against the students who were taking that class through Zoom against the students who were taking that class in VR, mm-hmm. and the in in against those three the metaversity campus the grades were higher the student engagement was higher and the student satisfaction was higher and that matters so if you think about all these college kids who complain to their parents who are paying this tuition or maybe complain to themselves because they're paying the tuition that they're paying all this money and they they have to sit in front of a 2d computer and take a class through zoom not happy and university administrators heard heard it loud and clear and now they're being sued over it so that's a problem if you're a university administrator what you want are happy customers happy students and that's what you get on a metaversity campus is you get a satisfied student Uh Um, and so so that's not a problem but but there is a challenge with with professors and teachers because as with everything you have early adopters And then you have uh, the rest and they sort of flow from there. So what we try to do is to get professors or educators on a campus tour. We take them on a walking tour of the campus, just like they're 18 years old and heading off to college. They get a walking tour of the campus. And, And in this case, it's our Metaversity campus. And we will take them to Dinosaur Island to see how paleontology is taught. We'll take them into the cadaver lab so they can hold a human heart. We take them to the starship so they can put on a spacesuit and go for a spacewalk and learn astronomy. Uh, we take them to the art history museum so they can approach uh, the Mona Lisa and actually look at the, uh, the, the brushstrokes of that uh, piece of art. So this is how we get educators excited because they suddenly realize that what they are seeing is not just the future, but a better way for students to learn. And, and there's, you know, maybe not every educator is ready to jump into something new, but we know that there are some that are, and they will lead the way and then others will follow.
1: Mm -hmm. So that's great. And I'm sure you could, uh, saying that to the teacher is one thing, but actually having them experience that is a wildly, wildly different experience for them to, to know and feel because they can imagine what's possible um, for them. And then as you, I mean, as you make new curriculum, because Mike, it sounds like, you know, you work with them, you have a standard template of stuff that you're pulling from, but then you go to create new content, new materials. If, if, educators or universities or whatever want to make new content with you say, oh, I've got a specific use case for X, Y, and Z. How do you go about that um, with them? What does that look like?
0: So what we, as I said earlier, we don't create the curriculum or the course. We let Mm -hmm. the educators, you know, for the most part, they've already taught this Mm -hmm. information. And so what we do is, we sit down with them and we understand their syllabus or their lesson plans, whatever the case might be. And we identify, first of all, what are the 3D objects that they need? So for example, when Dr. Hamilton, Professor Hamilton, Oval Hamilton at Morehouse College taught world history, we talked to him about the week he teaches World War II history. And so we discussed, you know, what is the best place, the best way to deliver that education. And so what we did was we developed for him a World War II battleship. So the students went to school that week on a battleship and, and he is United States Navy retired. So he was not only able to teach the class on the battleship, but he was also able to take them on a tour of the battleship and show them what, you know, we also have seen a battleship and the guns are pretty obvious, but what are all those other things sticking up? I don't know. But he was able to teach them, take them literally on a walking tour of the, the battleship and show them all the different pieces and what they're used for and what their purpose is. Uh, and, and at the same time, the battleship was floating in the Pacific. So he was able to teach about uh, the war in the Pacific. And, mm. and so we identify what is it that they need to teach this class? Because that's one of the things that we need to provide. You know, In, uh, in inorganic chemistry, it, had to do with molecules we have a forestry class where we're going to uh, create some some trees that are very large and that are where you can actually count the rings so those are the you know that's what we want to do identify what they need and then we need to show them how to bring up uh, their own slide decks, their own videos and then also how to use the whiteboard to teach and um, from there it flows pretty easily
1: Cool. So, really, you know, you're really saying, okay, what, what objects do you need to teach? And then here's all the typical elements, right? Uh, whiteboard, uh, a, 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 you know, PowerPoint, whatever it might be. Um, and then you can just kind of lead them through and then they can just teach like they would normally teach.
0: I want to get, I want to bring in the old uh, film projectors. <laughs>
1: films. Put put uh, their hand inside there, and they can do like little puppet shows and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember.
0: I remember that back in the
1: day when I was a kid. Back in yeah, the day.
0: exactly.
1: Uh, oh, that's so fun. What for you is like? So you're you're building out um the your these metaversities, or the Victor, uh, victory XR and all this stuff. For you, what is your holy grail? What is the the big thing you hope to achieve with this company and all the work that you're doing?
0: Between our augmented reality efforts our virtual reality efforts and all the other pieces, You know, some of our immersive content will be deployed on Chromebooks and through PCs. But by the end of the decade, we fully intend to have a billion students around the world uh, interacting with our immersive learning content. And, and that won't all be through us. A lot of it will be through our publishing friends and, and some of the tech companies that we work with. But um, we think that a billion students learning immersively Will make the world a better place and it will make the world a smaller place as students from all around the world. Let's, let's say we have a class on Mandarin or a class on Japanese. And so students from many countries will come together, they'll become friends, they'll socialize together and they'll learn Japanese or Mandarin or German or English together. This makes the world a better place. And, um, you know, it, it, it's exciting to watch it roll out.
1: Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's shrinking the world down to where we're all kind of connected in a, a smaller place. So we are actually all, you know, there's a lot less divide, which is a yeah. powerful thing. If, it's harder if that's to go your, to war
0: against, it's harder to go to war against the people that you know.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that we've seen with the, the, the latest conflicts that we've seen come up is that we're all really, really connected And, and uh, a lot of people can do a lot of things and a lot of things can be seen very quickly. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's interesting to see how connected we are and how dependent we truly are on each other. Um, going through all that, um, with what your Holy grail is of of a billion students inside uh, the victory XR platform. uh, What do you think is the dragon? What is the big thing that you're trying to overcome that you don't know if you're going to be able to overcome when you're going to achieve your goal?
0: You know, the, the biggest issue is not the development. We know exactly what needs to be done, but um, we have to have enough big players believe in what we're doing so that um, we can have the funding in place to scale it to the degree that we need. And um, that's a, that's a constant battle. And then we need to make sure that when we do have that funding, that we deploy it in a data driven way that uh, delivers the greatest, the greatest success. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's my responsibility as the CEO to make sure I do that, but with a lot of good people around me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that's that's enough support and momentum and and, uh, smart use of the resources. Uh, When you're talking about a data-driven approach, my um, question that comes to mind is, how do you show teachers and, and faculty and other people um that what you do is effective what your your education works and it is more engaging and all that what what does that look like to actually show with data that your system um uh, performs well
0: yeah so we we rely on the Morehouse College uh case study first of all and we were fortunate that Qualcomm stepped up and and funded the initial build out but once it was built out it was up to the professors and the students to that- Students to figure it out from there. So, so we've got a pretty good case study off the ground. But beyond our work with our curriculum or our content, um, there's a lot of other studies that that show uh, the value of of learning immersively. And uh, you know, I, I can remember one study done in Taiwan where they actually did an EEG, a brain scan of students who were learning in the classroom in a traditional way, and then at rest, and then with a VR headset on. And when you look at that EEG, the brain just lights up when they're learning in VR. All the different parts of the brain are engaged. And so, you know, we point to that data, that's a pretty good one. Um, And there's, there's plenty of studies that show that students retain dramatically more information through VR learning than um, through traditional means, and so you know it may not be the right solution in in every case, but we know that it's a big part of the solution.
1: Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, it, I mean you're hitting both sides of the brain. You can feel the excitement from how amazing VR is, but they also got to show the data for both sides because we have both those sides of the of the brain. Um, you know, and I think that's fantastic. Um, so with all of this being said and everything that you're doing, which I think is a, a, an amazing thing, is there anything else? you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you and your
0: company. You know, what what I would say is our company motto is crazy today, obvious tomorrow. Crazy today, obvious tomorrow. And if you think about it, you know, banking on your phone or self-driving cars or whatever the case might be, you know, what what seemed crazy at the time is pretty obvious now. Seem like that big of a deal. We just integrated it into our lives. And so, this whole concept of a metaverse education, metaversities, uh, going to school in a headset or with AR glasses, it sounds crazy, but the reality is it will be obvious in just a few years. And so, embrace it, figure out how it can benefit your life or your students, and uh, drop by our website and take a tour with us victoryxr.com. Really easy victoryxr.com.
1: Beautiful. Awesome. Uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Steve. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for your time. Um, have a blessed and beautiful day, my friend, and I'll see you on the other side.
0: All right. Thank you, Dylan.
1: Take care now. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.